the hope that burns within us, which dark cannot destroy. With praise that's never ending, we say again rejoice. your Thanksgiving dinners, all right? And so y'all are getting a head start. But for many of us, we have a lot of busy activities ahead. And I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that Thanksgiving for everyone is not always an easy holiday. And I just want to say to you, if Thanksgiving is a hard holiday, I want you to know that you have a family here at First Baptist that loves you and wants to care for you. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, Sometimes the holiday season can be a hard time, but let's keep our eyes up and let's look around at one another. And if someone's hurting, let's make sure we see them this morning. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, welcome to First Baptist Church. My name is Brady Martin. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist, and I want to say welcome to you. If you are a guest this morning, I want to give a special welcome to you. We are grateful that you're here. We would love for you to fill out a guest card in the pew back in front of you, and we would love for you to drop it off at the Welcome Center after the service or in one of our Dropbox in the back. Um, but this season is busy. And so I have a few announcements I want to share with you this morning. Um, first is that our Thanksgiving dinner is tonight at 5 o'clock. We would love for you to come to our, fa uh, to our Thanksgiving dinner tonight. All right, church is providing turkey, dressing, and drinks. You bring two sides to share. It'll be a great time. Come tonight for our Thanksgiving dinner. Secondly, I would like to tell you about Operation Christmas Child. That is due today. Those boxes are due today for Operation Christmas Child, and so um, I encourage you to bring those boxes um, today at some point to the church. Lastly, um, I want to share with you about Baptism Sunday. Baptism Sunday is coming up November, that's next Sunday. Um, we're going to have baptisms. If you have never followed Jesus in baptism, I would love to be able to have the opportunity for you to be baptized next Sunday. So please tell us at the end of the service, if that's something you're interested in, we would love to talk more with you. If you say, hey, I, I would like to be baptized, I and you um, say, I want to think about it, or uh, I have questions, you can fill out, you see that QR code on the slide, you can uh, put that at your phone, uh, and you can go fill out a form, and we'll be in contact with you to be able to talk with you more about baptism. The last thing I want to tell you about is Upward Basketball is coming up, and we're really excited about Upward. It's a great way to be able to connect with people in our community through sports, and I want to encourage you. We need some coaches 
for this upcoming season of Upward Basketball. So if you're willing to serve or you're maybe thinking, you know what, I really need to make a difference in someone's life. I know the Lord's wanting me to do something, but I don't know what. Um, I want to encourage you. I think Upward Basketball could be a great opportunity for you. So I want to encourage you to think about that. All right. And this also is a season um, where we have uh, a time to think about how we can make an impact. And so in just a moment, Jake's going to come tell us about our world's missions offering. But before I do, I want to tell you that this morning um, you have the opportunity. Uh, Tim Hensick is going to be preaching this morning, and I'm excited about that. One of the things I want to share as your pastor is that we believe here at First Baptist Church that the authority of preaching does not lie in the preacher, but in the word of God. And this morning, I'm excited for Tim to preach to us on these great issues of how the gospel is going to affect all of the most important areas of our lives. So I look forward to that. And I just want to say a word about Tim real quick. Tim works so hard to see your students know Christ and grow into maturity in Christ. And it is a great privilege to have a student pastor who's been here as long as Tim has and as faithful as Tim is. Isn't that great? And so we look forward to hearing from you later, Tim. And um, uh, if you don't know this, Tim and I actually went to the same seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. And so, um, and so we get to reminisce about memories about that often. And so that's a great thing. So this morning, we also have our world's missions offering coming up. So Jake is going to come and tell us about that. Thank you, Brady. So as we celebrate Christmas, this is the time when we think about Jesus leaving heaven, coming to earth on a mission, right? And so as we think about that, we turn our hearts to prayer and to giving to our World Missions offering. 85% of this offering goes to the Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering. And so we're going to see a video in just a second about what that looks like and what you're giving to. But I want you to hear, as a church, this year we set a goal for $30,000. That seems like a lot until you think about the last two years we have almost hit $50,000 as a church. And so I would just encourage you this Christmas season, make one of your biggest gifts that you give to this offering because it is sending the gospel out to the nations. So let's take a minute, let's watch this quick video as you see what you're giving to when you give to this offering. We hear it in the voices of the hurting. We sense it in the brokenness of the world around us. Lostness is a blindness to the promise and hope of the gospel that leads to eternal separation from the Father. The world's greatest problem is lostness, and it's growing every day. Eight billion people, living in 195 countries, speaking over 7,000 languages. Today, more than half have yet to hear the good news of the gospel. The vision God gives us in Revelation 7-9. A multitude from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages fuels our desire to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. But we must be willing to go further than we've ever gone before. To the very edges of lostness, where more than 3,000 people groups have no missionary presence and likely no access to the gospel. No one is engaging them. Together, we can change that. We know the love and hope and peace of the gospel. We know the way, the truth, and the life. 
We know the power of true redemption. We will not ignore lostness. We will not be silent. We will not stand still. From the Great Commission until the Great Multitude, we must unite in this great pursuit to reach every nation, no matter the cost. season uh, we have last year's Christmas CD we we've just now released it uh, but this is 2022 the majesty of Christmas this is our live concert you've probably seen some of the videos online from last year uh, but uh, now you can get this CD in the bookstore uh, and I've got a deal for you these are $15 a piece in individual we have now three choir CDs or you know from our church and so one is 15 if you get this one and one more, it's two, it's 25. If you get all three, it's $30. So look at the, and then if you get, and, and then I got my old trademark CDs from when I was singing with a group called Trademark. And you get, if you get those, you get all five CDs for $50. So anyway, that's the end of my commercial. And so go get that. That's, this is a really good CD. You can give them out as gifts for Christmas or whatever. Good Christmas music. Enough commercial and now let's worship. Let's stand, let's sing together. My heart is filled with thankfulness. Oh 
with us here at First Baptist this morning. We're going to continue in uh, Brady's series through the book of Colossians, and um, Brady's been speaking with us uh, through the book of Colossians for the last six or so weeks, and so uh, Colossians, as he's explained, has been written to us to defend through the Colossian heresy that said that there was something deeper than Jesus Christ. And so in the first two chapters in Colossians, we saw that Paul was writing to explain the preeminence of the superiority of Christ. And then in chapters three and four are all about how we've been made alive to live a new life in Christ and how we can set our minds on things above and put on the character of Christ. Last week, Brady showed us that the word of Christ dwells in our hearts through worship and through singing. And this morning, we're gonna look now about how Paul will show us how practically we can apply these spiritual truths in our daily lives as we consider how faith changes the way we interact with those who are closest to us. So the gospel transforms our relationships within our family and within our workplace. And so the big idea this morning is this, that the gospel transforms our most important relationships. And so to do that, we're going to look at three pairs of people, husbands and wives, parents and children and then slaves and masters and we'll see how these relationships each day ought to look different because of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ I just want to begin this morning by reading through the passage of scripture that we'll be walking through today it begins in Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 it says this wives submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord husbands Love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it um, from the Lord or whatever you do do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord you serve the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done and there is no favoritism 
Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. You know, when Brady first asked me to preach this passage and, and told me what I was going to be covering, I thought, you know, how convenient that the new guy comes to town and passes the buck on the first controversial passage. And I've told him all week, I said, you're just a big chicken, you know. So um, anyway, I'm, I'm excited that he's given me the opportunity to preach through this passage. But if there's any concerns, my email is bmartin.fbc at, at gmail.com. And so you can send any concerns you might have uh, there. The first thing that I want us to see this morning, though, is this. And that's the gospel transforms our daily lives through our marriages. So the first pair that Paul instructs is wives and husbands. He begins with the wives, not because they needed more help, but because they were seen as the weaker party of the pair. Similar to him, going you know, to address the children before the parents and the slaves before the masters. The idea of wives submitting to husbands isn't a popular idea in our culture, right? Just the thought of that statement alone can trigger frustration. And so I want us to see that it's crucial for us to approach this passage from the proper context in the first century Greco-Roman world. And so Paul mentions these three pairs in relationship to the male leader of the home because they were considered, um, you know, everyone else was considered under his authority in the home. And so no doubt about it, in their culture, male dominance was the established norm. In fact, the male leader of the home was the patriarch of the family, and he had control over the home. So yes, even sometimes in an unhealthy degree. So what I'm hoping for us to see this morning is that Paul is calling everyone uh, in the home to live radically different in line with the lordship of Christ. Why? Because the gospel transforms our daily lives. And so Paul is calling Christian wives and, and husbands and Christian children and parents and Christian slaves and masters to live differently since now they're seeking the things above and setting their minds on Christ. During the first century, women were not seen as equal to men. They were legally, they had fewer rights. They were less educated. They weren't allowed to own land. And in the first century, the domestic code of the day certainly uh, placed absolute authority in the male as the head of the household over both people and property. That is the cultural context to which Paul is writing this letter to. So the gospel radically changed the position, though, of women in the Roman world in a positive way. For starters, Paul's already explained to us um, in earlier in Colossians in verse 11 that, you know, that, that equality uh, uh, exists in Christ. And so in verse 11, he writes, uh, in Christ there's not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Likewise, in Galatians 3.28, he writes this, there's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is, in fact, teaching us that there is equality and there is unity in Christ. So Paul doesn't challenge the existing order of the day of male dominance. He simply writes he's only challenging Christ followers to live differently because of how the gospel has changed their life. We have to keep in mind that Christians in the early church uh, they were the minority group, right? They were already looked down upon because of their beliefs. But Paul is 
directing our attention to our one true Lord, not the culture, for the direction on how we run our households. So remember from last week, it said this, that the word of God is dwelling in us and teaching us through worship. Uh, Verse 17, Brady didn't cover that last week, but that's the hinge verse to understanding the section today that follows. I want to read verse 17. It says, whatever you do in word and in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So our words and our actions need to honor Christ with those in our homes and those that are closest to us. So verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So how we understand this verse and, and what wives are called to submit to their husbands. First, the, the Greek word is a hupotasso, meaning to place under or arrange under or yield to. So Christian wives are called to willingly submit to the leadership of their husbands. In fact, it says, wives, submit yourselves. Meaning this is a voluntary thing, to voluntarily place yourselves under or to yield to the leadership of your husband. You see, the idea of submitting doesn't in any way demean a woman's value or uh, her worth or her equality. So Paul, we've got a better understanding of this even through the book of Ephesians. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 5 addressing these same three pairs of people and he explains that God's plan is for the husband to be the head or the leader of the family. He says this, because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. You see, Paul says the model or the example of the husband being the head of the wife is Jesus, is that Christ is the head of the church. And he continues in verse 24 and says, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. You see, wives are called to submit to, the church, or to their husbands in this same way, as men and women are likewise both called to submit as the church to Christ and his leadership. You see, since creation, uh, God established that order for the man to be the leader of the household. In fact, in Genesis 2, explains that God created man first and uh, placed him in the Garden of Eden and he paraded the animals in front of them and Adam named the animals and then God said it was not good for Adam to be alone and he created a helper fit for him or suitable for him. So he created the woman as Adam's helpmate. And there God created the institution of marriage. You see, God was first communicating and instructing Adam in Eden before Eve was created. So why is this submission for wives commanded? You see, verse 18, uh, the end of that verse helps to explain that. It says, because it is fitting in the Lord. You see, that's falling under the lordship of Christ. You see, ultimately, it's a demonstration of the wife's submission to the Lord is her ultimate authority. There are several other places in Scripture where both men and women are called to submit to governing authorities and we're called to uh, submit to the authority of the Lord. But here, Christian wives, your submission to your husband is a way to respect your husband and to honor your husband. So the error of our day is for ladies to deny that men have biblical headship in the marriage. Now, before I move on, I want to say this. Uh, I want to make kind of two clarifying statements where men have used the Bible in an abusive way. Uh, First, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. It doesn't call all women to submit to all men all the time, right? That's crazy. 
Uh, secondly, ladies, it says this, uh, submitting to your husbands um, doesn't mean that you need to stay in an abusive relationship. What submission looks like, it's not calling women to submit themselves to harm or abuse in any way, uh, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, or emotional abuse. And I think you'll see why in this next verse. So let's move on to husbands. In verse 19, it says this, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. See, Paul begins here with love because that wasn't always the norm uh, for marriages in their context. See, I'm not saying that there, that there wasn't loving married couples then, but we have to remember marriage. Um, some of them uh, were arranged. Sometimes marriages were forced. Sometimes daughters were sold to other people. Uh, and additionally, just remembering that men were the leaders in the home with that absolute authority in the context of that day. And often they mistreated women. And so Paul was call, calling them to live culturally different in a way that, that they hadn't seen within marriages before. That they're to love their wives. So Paul explains that this type of, the, the type of love that he's referring to. If we go back to Ephesians 5, he says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. See, men, we aren't called to love our wives the way we love Oreos or the way we love our favorite teams or the way um, we love our favorite hobbies. We're called to love it not, you know, not in a brotherly love type of way or not in um, you know, a sexual love type of way or even a love as a parent. We're called to love our wives in an agape love. And you see, the Bible tells us that that's the, the word used to describe God's love for us that, that drove him to send Jesus to die for us. You see, the example that we have is that Jesus dying uh, selflessly and sacrificially for the church. That's the way that we're called to love our wives. So husbands, we ought to demonstrate that same type of selfless and sacrificial kind of love for our wives. See, this kind of love wasn't common uh, within their marriages. See, the gospel changes our lives every day by the way we love our, our wives in a selfless and sacrificial way where we serve them, where we care for them, where we nurture their hearts, where we have their best interest in mind, where we place their needs above our own, where we protect them, where we provide for them. So shame on us, men, when our wives uh, feel like we're more willing to make sacrifices for the hobbies that we enjoy than we are for them. And shame on us uh, when our wives feel second or third or fourth to other things in our life that we've prioritized above them. You see, the error of our day for us men is to think that biblical headship in your marriage means that you rule with an iron fist or a controlling dominance or a selfish, unloving arrogance that belittles your wife. Warren Wearsby, he writes this. He says, a wife really has little difficulty submitting to a husband who loves her. Um, she knows he seeks the very best for her and that he will not do anything to harm her. The husband's love for his wife is seen in his sacrifice for her. And the wife's love for her husband is seen in her submission to him where there is sacrifice and submission in an atmosphere of love, you will find a happy home. 
husbands and wives, these characteristics that Paul is calling us to are not conditional upon how we feel our spouse is doing uh, and fulfilling their role. Uh, They should be reciprocal to one another regardless. The gospel transforms our hearts when we set our minds on Christ and put on the compassion of, or put on the, the character qualities of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and love. And remember, whatever we do, even including the way we live out our lives and our marriages, we do in the name of the Lord Jesus. So not only does the gospel transform our daily lives through our marriages, the second thing I want you to see is the gospel transforms our daily lives through our parenting, through our parenting. See, Paul moves on uh, to the second pair that he addresses, and that's to the children. He says, um, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Children are called to obey their parents. Um, Kids, students, this means that we obey our parents in everything, right? That's what scripture calls us to. This doesn't mean when it's just something that you want to do or it's something that, okay, I don't mind to do that. I'll follow that rule or accept that request. It's not just when you're in, in front of somebody that you're trying to impress. It's not just when you want your parents to buy you something that you begin to obey. In fact, we're called to obey our parents in everything because it says in this, in this verse, this pleases the Lord. So children, you fall under the lordship of Christ and his, by obeying him. And so you obeying your parents is a sign of you honoring the Lord and his authority in your life. See, one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 is to honor your father and your mother. So Paul challenged the children there that the gospel uh, changes the way that we should obey and honor our parents. Then Paul moves from the children to the parents but more specifically he addresses the fathers he addresses the fathers again because they carried more authority in the home and first century children didn't have they had fewer rights than women right and so um, they they had fewer rights they were considered often just as the father's property Um, the father had authority over him you could listen to to different you know find different historical writings that describe the type of leadership that that men had in the homes over women and over children and over their their slaves but it says that fathers could decide whatever punishment that they felt necessary or they could decide who they married or often use them as laborers or could decide their career path and so verse 21 says this fathers do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged you see I think sometimes as parents and maybe more so as fathers uh, we need to remember that our kids are still learning right they're still growing up they're still learning right and from wrong and we need to show them some grace as parents we have to be mindful that our our homes are a place where we can cultivate the love of Christ and a legacy of pointing our children to the cross See, Ephesians 6, 4, it, it again, that passage where he addresses those same three pairs, it clarifies this a little, little bit for us. It says that we need to bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. And yes, we certainly need to teach them and we need to train them and we need to instruct them. Then we need to have realistic expectations and not expect some level of perfectionism or legalism uh, from them that leads them only to feel constantly burdened, Right? We're discouraged because they can never please us as parents. That's where our role of training and teaching comes in. 
So I want to give you just three ways. There's, out of many, there's numerous ways, but just three ways as parents that we can bring up our children in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, first, our primary goal is to disciple our children. You'll see there in your notes, to disciple our children in the faith. You see, that's our job as parents. Uh, the church and, and student ministry is, is here to reinforce what we ought to be teaching already at home. You see, this goes back all the way into Old Testament times. Moses writes uh, to the nation of Israel, and he says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be upon your heart. Repeat them to your children. Right? Repeat the instruction of the Lord that he's given us to our children. He says, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. In other words, as we do life, as we go about our days, as we get up in the morning, as we're on our way to school, as we're doing our Saturday activities, as we're sitting around the dinner table, as we're tucking them in into bed at night, parents, we have to take the lead in teaching our children about the truth of God's word. Secondly, we're called to discipline our children. We're called to discipline our children. See, correction and discipline is necessary in our kids' lives. And it helps them to learn right from wrong. See, discipline also teaches our, our children that sin has consequences. But our, our, cultural, our culture often uh, villainizes discipline, does it not? And in fact, sometimes uh, parents would rather just be a friend than to be a parent. And so uh, our, our discipline, it should be instructive. It should be formative for our children in their lives. Hebrews tells us that the Lord disciplines those he loves. And I want to encourage you that, that sometimes the most loving thing we can do for our child is to set up appropriate boundaries, give clear expectations, provide structure, and discipline our children. Finally, we're called to encourage our children. Encourage our children. Verse 21 is charged us not to frustrate our children or exasperate our children because that's discouraging. And we want to make sure that our kids hear more than just the negative from us, right? Or more than just the feeling that all we do as parents is just nag them, right? I, I know I'm not the only one that has felt that way before. But instead, let's make sure that they feel loved, that they feel supported, that by us, from us as parents, that we are their biggest fan. Let's look for times to encourage them, look for opportunities to compliment them. See, the gospel must transform both our marriages and our parenting. But the third thing that the gospel transforms our daily lives through is our work relationships. Our work relationships. See, the third pair that Paul addresses is slaves and masters. And on the very bottom of the totem pole, uh, below the women and below the children, would be slaves. You know, it's estimated that there was, um, you know, slavery was an established institution in Paul's day. It's estimated there were nearly 60 million slaves during that time. And so since most families worked from home or farmed or uh, did their trade from their home, 
Um, their slaves were part of their home life as well. And so again, I, I want to remind you as the Christians were the minority at the time, they didn't have the, the political pool, the social pool uh, to be able uh, for centuries later to be able to abolish slavery. And so Paul isn't writing in support of slavery. Paul's writing to something that existed in the time that they grew up. It'd be like us saying, we want to get rid of cell phones today, right? Like, I could start that and I could write that, but they probably wouldn't disappear immediately, right? And so, and I realize that's not a, you know, that's not a negative example like slavery, but that's, the, that's what they had in front of them. But Paul worked to show how the gospel transforms all of our relationships, even those in that instance. And so, in this short block, um, there's two verses dedicated uh, to the first two pairs where we have these five verses uh, then we have five verses here that deal with slaves and masters. Uh, verse 22, it, it calls, uh, just listen here, it calls slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. So we can see here again um, that they're, they're called to live under the lordship of Christ. Just like the wives were called because it's fitting to the Lord, the children because it pleases the Lord. And here, because they're, they're called to fear the Lord. And he continues in 23, whatever you do, do it from a heart as something done for the Lord. Not for the, the human master that you're working for, but work for the Lord. Verse 24, knowing that you will receive the re reward of an inheritance from the Lord. And he gives this, this statement, you, right? And so uh, that was the view that Paul wanted them to remember that they serve the Lord Christ, not just man. Verse 25, then it says, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. And so Paul is reminding these slaves, look, you don't have to take revenge. Um, you know, that's gonna be handled. The wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong they have done. And in fact, I think he writes this most likely in this context he spends even a few extra verses here uh, because of what's taken place with Onesimus. Remember the man named Onesimus from the book of Philemon? It's a few books uh, you know, over to the right here later in the New Testament. And Philemon uh, was a slaveholder in the city of Colossae. And Onesimus, his slave, had fled, uh, we believe you know, possibly uh, stolen from him and fled, and then he came across Paul. And Paul led Onesimus to the Lord as a runaway slave. And so uh, Paul says this, he then writes back to Philemon and encourages him to welcome Onesimus back, not as just a slave, not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. And Paul says that he will pay whatever debt Onesimus has because he was once useless, but he's now useful for the Great Commission. He even calls Onesimus a dearly loved brother. So do you see how the gospel has radically changed Paul's view um, view on slavery and how he treats slaves differently as brothers and sisters in Christ. This final verse then that's written to the slave masters. It says masters being uh, the men that were over those slaves, those earthly masters. He says, deal with your slaves justly and fairly since you know that you have a master in heaven. And so, uh, you know, the master in this situation um, is often also the husband and the father, right? And so here in this context, we see that men, just like he says, you have a master or a Lord in heaven. That men that we're called to live under the Lordship of Christ, even in this passage as well. 
But for us, how can this passage apply to us? Thankfully, um, slavery has been abolished in our country and, and we're thankful that it no longer continues in that form. Um, but I think that we can still apply some principles uh, from this passage as Christians. See, as Christian employees, uh, we ought to be the best workers in the building, right? Uh, because we're working heartily out of reverence for the Lord. Our work ethic should not decline because our boss's eye is not on us at the time. Our hard work ethic ought to be a positive reflection of the Lord. Maybe some of you are bosses or have authority over other people at work as, as employees. And as Christian bosses, you should always look to treat employees justly and fairly in the same way that Paul's called the slave owners. Treat people with dignity and respect to do what is right and fair for your employees. You too have a master in heaven who shows no favoritism. So everyone in this passage, uh, wives and husbands, children and fathers, slaves and masters are called to live under the lordship of Christ because the gospel transforms our most important relationships. So I want to challenge you this morning, wives. You should respectfully lift up your husbands. Husbands, you should sacrificially love your wives. Children, you should humbly listen to your parents. Parents, you should faithfully, faithfully lead your children. And believers should diligently work for our master and our Lord. The gospel transforms our daily lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our work relationships. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. Uh, relationships can often be difficult to navigate, and we thank you that, uh, that you give us instruction, and you give us grace, and you point us to the cross that we live our lives um, under your lordship, no matter who we are, looking to you for how we should live out our, our marriages, how we should parent our kids, and also within the relationships that we have at work. So Father, I pray that you help us to do that in such a way that points the world around us to this uh, different life that we have in Christ, that we live under the gospel. Lord, thank you for your grace. In your son's name we pray, amen. This morning, I just want to challenge you uh, to ask yourself about your relationships and are they honoring to the Lord? Is your marriage falling under the lordship of Christ? Is the way you parent falling under the lordship of Christ? Is the way you handle your work relationships, are they falling under the lordship of Christ? Also, you know, this morning, the most important relationship is your relationship with Jesus. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then these other relationships aren't going to fall in line like they, like they should. So this morning, I want to call you to have a personal relationship and place Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord in your life. Give Him the authority over your life. Place yourself under His Lordship. He offers forgiveness and hope and a new life. Let's stand and sing. On the hill of Calvary, 
That's what, that's what you call an elbow sermon. Y'all know about elbow sermons? Where you look around and everybody's elbowing one another when it's their turn. Husbands, elbow. Wives, elbow. Children, parents, everybody's just elbowing each other, Tim. So thank you for elbowing all of us to let the gospel transform our uh, marriages and our parenting and our work relationships. And so one of the things I just want to encourage, we live in a world that does not know God's design for marriage, right? We know that. Let me tell you the best argument you can make to the world 
about the importance of the institution of marriage. The best argument you can make in our world is by having a beautiful, loving marriage that the world can see. And so I want to encourage you uh, to let the gospel transform your home this week. Um, also, I have, a, I have a quick survey I need to do real quick. Um, how many of you have your Christmas trees up? Okay. We'll talk to the, the rest of you Scrooges later, all right? No, um... What I want to tell you is we're getting ready to kick off our Christmas season here at First Baptist. And so today when you leave, you're going to be handed two pieces of paper that are exactly the same. And these are celebrate Christmas cards at First Baptist that list all of our Christmas events, our worship concert, our kids' uh, choir, musical, our light show, and our Christmas Eve services. And it's going to tell you about our upcoming sermon series, all of those kind of things. And so when you leave today, you're going to get two of these for a very particular purpose. One, we want you to take one and put on your refrigerator at home where you'll remember what time things are as it comes up. The second one, that was for Jernigan where he would remember, all right? Second one, second one I want you to take, and I want to challenge you to give it to someone in our community. And if we will do that, think about it. If we have 800 people here this morning, and we take one of these, we can invite 800 people to be with us this Christmas season. If you need more to hand out, please take more. But I want to encourage you, leave this in your workplace, give it to someone, and we want to encourage you to invite someone this Christmas season. So that's my challenge to you. Invite someone to celebrate Christmas with First Baptist this year. Can we do that? Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, let me pray for us, and we'll be dismissed. Father, I thank you so much for the word that was preached today the challenge upon our lives to let the gospel not just affect us on Sundays, but that the good news that we are so loved by God that he sent his one and only son to go to the cross, to die in our place, to pay for our sin, not in part, but the whole, and that he was willing to shed his blood, to be mocked, to be broken, and to die in our place. Father, we thank you that on the third day, death could not keep him in the grave, but he rose from the dead, victorious once and for all against our biggest enemies. So, Father, we thank you for that good news. And that good news is too good to only affect us on Sundays or in a worship service. May that good news impact every area of our lives, in our marriages, our parenting, our work, in every other area, that the world might notice that the light has come into the world through Jesus Christ and his light now shines in us. So this Christmas season, may we be reflecting the light that has come into our world. We pray that you will do all of this for your glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for being here. Make sure you get your Christmas invite cards. What is God?